0: Real Life. Real Life. Real Life. Real Life. Real Life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real
1: Life Christian Church.
0: Real Life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real Life Messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So today we'll see what's important to Jesus, and we really get into the very heart of the Son of God. But folks, I've got to tell you, before we go on, I I pray you people treasure the Word of God and invest yourself in the Word of God for the treasure it is. Satan's got hordes of fallen demon angels, and they promote so many lies that sound so believable. And this is what sets you back on the path of truth. And I remember the story about how the church in the 15th century... The Roman Catholic Church had buried the Word of God under all their sacraments, under all their rites, under all their rituals, under all their church doctrine. And then Martin Luther, and I'm not making a God out of him, it's all God working in him and through him, walked across the pages of history, and Luther couldn't find any peace with God because of his sins until the Holy Spirit led Luther to blow the dust off the Bible. He blew the dust off the Bible, and by the Spirit's guidance... He found Romans 1.17, and Romans 1.17 reads like this, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God, and that's the key word. A righteousness that comes from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It begins and ends with faith. And then the quote from the prophet of Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. That one passage, Romans 1.17, turned the whole religious world upside down. I mean, Martin Luther learned that we're not righteous in ourselves, but righteousness is a gift, Romans 1, 17, from God. We receive it by faith from first to last, and that every believer will live his life day by day. That's what it says, the just shall live by faith. Day by day, you live your life by faith in the Son of God. I mean, Luther read that passage, and for the first time in his life, he had peace with God, so he published 95 points of debate. And I just want to show you how God works. Just at that time, a guy named Gutenberg in England invented the printing press, a movable type, and so Luther's 95 points of debate are circulated all over the Holy Roman Empire. And the Word of God is unleashed, and the Christian church has never been the same again because they had the Word of God. The truth was unleashed. I want to read this to you. These are the last two verses, man, of a great reformation hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us. We tremble not, we fear no will, they shall not overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judge, baby. The deed is done, and baby's not in there. <laughs> Thy word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side, the Lord, upon the plain with His good gifts and spirit. Now listen to this. And take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. That stirs my soul. So cherish the truth. Today we remember, in the last part in this series, for a while, the Father sent His Son into the mission. And that mission was coming to a head. Our Lord had chosen prayerfully 12 disciples. And a disciple, Greek word, mate, is a learner. So these guys would learn from Jesus and carry on his ministry when he went back to heaven. He trained these guys for three long years, and now it was coming down to zero hour. It was the Thursday evening before what we call Good Friday. Jesus and his family of disciples are about to celebrate the Passover meal that we call communion in a, a second floor room of somebody's house or an inn. This would be their last meal together. Now, if you were about to eat your last meal with the most beloved people in the world to you, and you knew it was your last meal, you got four or five hours left with these people who are so precious to you, what would be important to you? I mean what would you want to pass on to these folks and see in John 13 to 17 we have the record of this upper room time together this talk this discourse and our Lord wants to pass on to the this family of his these beloved disciples of his who would go out into the world with the truth of the gospel and die for it. He wanted to pass on two or three or four truths that they would never let go of that they would hang on to the rest of their lives and I'm just going to go over these What that you know one is in John 14 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. We he's as is, I'm true God, but true God in another form. True God in the form of the Holy Spirit will come to you and will live in you, and he will empower you, and Jesus is saying, you're helpless on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. How popular is that today? I'm looking at John 15:5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Look at this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, how many parents? I mean, you got your kids in front of you. Your last meal with them. And, and you want to impress them. I mean, what are you going to say to them? I mean, a lot of parents would say, well... Um, You can be anything you want to be. Study hard, work hard, put your nose to the grindstone, and you can be anything you want to be. Now, how many parents would tell their kids without him, you're nothing? Now, here's another really important truth. They leave them in this upper room discourse. In John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. I mean, you can say, I love you, Lord, all you want, but let me see you make some choices to obey me and then I will really know that you love me, see? And that goes to every love relationship we have. Here's another deep, important truth that our Lord wants to leave with his, his disciples John 14. He says, In my Father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Listen to this, and I will come back. Here's the heart of God. And take you to myself, that you may be where I am. He's saying, there's a, re- there's a reward, no matter what you guys suffer for my name. You will be with me forever, and nobody's ever going to take that from you. So he leaves these guys these truths. Would these be the most important things you pass on to your loved ones? So ask yourself, what's important to you that you want in their soul that they will never ever 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 let go of what do you want to pass on to your loved ones and what are you passing on to your loved ones and what are you talking about in your family circles and what are you modeling now in john chapter 13 we're going to spend the rest of our time today on this we have the first important truth that he wants to leave with his family of disciples And this is in John chapter 13, in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He's going to show them the full extent of his love. First, he's going to wash their feet, and then he's going to die for their sins. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And he knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had come from God, as returning to God. He knew all that. So here's what he did. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. He was about to do the thing that not everybody wanted to do. Now remember, there are certain paramount truths our Lord wanted to leave with his disciples. And so here's what he does. He wraps that towel around his waist. And in verse five, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now maybe you know from other parts of scripture that the obligation of washing feet was not given to a servant. The word for servant is diakonos. It means deacon. And it wasn't a servant's job to wash people's feet when they came into the house. It was a custom, but it wasn't a servant's job because servants were paid, they had a life of their own, and they had rights. To wash feet when you came into a home was the job of a, in Greek, doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, which is a slave. Because slaves were owned, they had no rights. You tell them what to do, and they do it. And notice, none of the disciples wanted to be a doulos, a slave, and do the customary thing and wash the dust off each other's feet. Matter of fact, you get the verse 8 of chapter 13 of John, and Peter says, No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet, you're the Messiah. Messiah don't wash feet, they get their feet washed. Now here's what it's all about, verse 12. John 13, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I had done. He said, I'm your Lord and master, and I washed your feet. Now you guys go do the same. So what's it mean? John 13 is talking about being a servant, having a servant attitude. And folks, I want to tell you, if we can develop a servant's heart that's willing to roll up your sleeves and wash feet or whatever you have to do, you have gained something so precious when you make that an automatic first response. Man, I shoot for that. That's an ideal that I shoot for. So how do you get a servant's heart? Number one, I'm going to give you three or four ways. We have to think it, man. We have to think like a servant. I mean, how many times have you ever heard it from Proverbs And 7? And as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And you know, man, that is so true. As a man thinks within himself, so it is. That's wisdom. How do you see yourself? It's how you think about yourself. Here's what I seek to do. Here's what drives my self-image, seriously. I inherit Adam's sin. And God told Adam, don't eat from that one tree. His wife Eve did. And she takes the fruit that she ate, and she hands it to Adam and says, here, honey, here, take a bite. And he did. He listened to his wife, not God. He ate the fruit. And that was rebellion against God. And that sinful nature is passed on to you and me And what we are entitled to in this entitlement generation, ladies and gentlemen and children, is the full fury of the wrath of God. That's our entitlement. But that's not what happened, no. See, the Father decides to make me his own forever. And he directs the full fury of his wrath, not on me, but he directs it on his own son. And his own son, Jesus, suffers. His own son dies. And I'm home free. Now tell me you or I deserve that. Tell me we're entitled to that. I mean, I've been elevated to sonship. And you're a believer. I mean, we're sons and daughters of the king. We're sons and daughters of Almighty God. You know what came to mind? Psalm Psalm 143, verse 1. David understood that. He says in one forty-three, one, O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy and your faithfulness and righteousness. Come to my relief. And then he says in verse 2, he says, he says, come to my relief. And don't bring your servant into judgment. That's what I deserve. He says, don't bring your servant into judgment because no one living is righteous before you. And David understood he had free access to holy, eternal God. And what he deserved wasn't free access to a holy, eternal God. What he deserved, he didn't get. And David knew that. And see, when you let that roll around in your mind, and we don't think of ourselves like that. We don't. I, 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 I seek to, I try to. When you think of yourself like that, you know you're living in a constant state of grace and mercy, constant grace and mercy. And knowing I live in constant grace and mercy, I ask myself the question, how can I be so arrogant as to think of myself first? That means when my neighbor comes over and needs me, I do their thing before mine. Or when somebody calls me and they need me, I do, I I give attention to what they need before I give attention to my own schedule. Now, obviously, we can't do that in every case, and God's going to give you that discernment. But folks, that's what I mean by washing feet, and I believe that's what the Lord meant by washing feet. When God brings people into your life to serve them, and you're on overload, man, you got so much going on in your life, guess what? God knows that. And I got to think like this. And he sends them anyway. He knows what you have to do. He knows what I have to do. But he brought that person into your life anyway. And, he, and here's been the experience of my life. He will always, always make a way for you to accomplish your thing too. And if you don't get done what you want to get done, it wasn't all that important. Because you did God's thing first. And life goes on. It's all how you see yourself. If you're going to serve people and wash feet, then all that implies you've got to think like a servant. Secondly, second way, how do you develop a servant's heart? John 13, this is verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You should also wash one another's feet. So the second way you do this, you model Christ. And I asked this question, I asked myself this question when I was writing this, what's the bottom line of my life? And I got to look, you know, it just, it, it just came to mind. I knew it was in here, 1 Peter chapter 2.24. I'm asking myself, why am I here? And why did God save me? I guess that's the question we should ask. Why did God save you? If you're saved, if you're here and you're saved, you got to ask the question why God saved you. And, and 1 Peter 2.24 came to mind. It reads like this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now here it comes, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, so that I can die to my sins and live to righteousness, die to sin, live to righteousness, or said like this, so we can become more like Christ every day that we live. I want to become more like Christ, this guy who washed feet, and I got to think, who is this Jesus Christ? I thought of Genesis 1, let there be light, he spoke this world into being, there was nothing, and he spoke, and all of a sudden, you had a world. I think of Psalm 90, verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This Jesus was never created. And he'll never end. And he is. He's, he's, he's God. How did he pull that off? I think of Revelation 5, 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, singing to, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus, the one who sits on the throne of the Father. To him be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. And the Lord is worshiped and adored by every created being in heaven and earth. He spoke this creation into existence. He, he, he's God forever. He's uncreated. That's the same guy. I got to think like this, man. That's the same one who in John thirteen five, did this. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That's the guy who did this. And it boils down to this. See, I don't ever want to reach a point in my life where I become so self-important that to wash people's feet, I say, oh, that's somebody else's job. Somebody else can do that. It's not my job. I never want to get like that, man. May we never get to a point where somebody that needs to be helped or served in some way or something that needs to be done and nobody else is willing to do it. And that happens, by the way, in churches. You know, there's a need. Let somebody else. It happens in businesses and it happens in families, okay? Happens everywhere. And nobody else has the time or they want to make the sacrifice or they don't want to make the sacrifice and they don't want to pick up the ball and do it. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, picked up the ball and he did it. And may you or me never think ourselves so good or that our time is so valuable or that we are so important that we don't step up to the plate and do it without being asked. That, folks, is growing in Christ-likeness. And so the second way, the second way you develop a servant's heart is to model Jesus Christ. Here's another way to get a servant's heart. Folks, we've got to practice it. It's unnatural. It's unnatural to me be a servant. Whenever something's not natural, you just keep telling yourself, this is right, this is God's will, I just got to keep telling myself that. This is what the Lord wants me to do. And then you tell the Lord and pray. you tell the Lord, hey, I, I got a real hard time being obedient in this area of my life. And he knows that. And you tell the Lord, I, I need the power of the Holy Spirit in me right now to conform to your will. And you're always conscious of it. You're always conscious of being a servant. This is against your nature. It's against my nature. And you're always conscious of it. All the time. So when people and their needs or some situation that needs someone to say, I'll do it. When that comes into your life, you keep telling yourself again and again and again, this first, then me, this first, then me, this first, then me. And the more you do it, the more it's going to become natural in a way of life. And that's the Christian walk. And here it is, this is what God's will. You, You know this is what God wills. And you say, and I don't want to do this. This is God's will, and I don't want to do this. I don't want to serve. And you act contrary to your nature. How many times I got to do that? Man, I'll tell you. And you do it anyway, and you do it anyway. And I want to tell you, as you do it anyway, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to build up that servant's heart in you. And it will invade as you practice it every day area of your life jesus set an example he said in john 13 he said i have set you an example this is verse 15 that you should do as i have done and we need to be examples of righteous living folks you have to jesus said i set you an example you 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 need to be an example in the arena where god's placed you we need to be examples because people are looking at us I thought about what I think is one of the neatest giving of an example in all scripture. David was the anointed king over Israel. Samuel had anointed him. The prophet Samuel poured the oil over him. He said, you're not going to become king until God moves the present king, Saul, out. God got to move Saul out first. Now Saul knew that David had been anointed and all Saul does with the rest of his life is he hunts David down, trying to take David's life. So one day, 1 Samuel 26, David and his men, they come to a campsite and lo and behold, there is his enemy, King Saul, asleep on the ground, his spear stuck in the ground next to him and his main guy, his tough guy says, Look at God serve Saul up to you on a silver platter, man. There it is, right there. The guy's name is Abishai. Abishai said to David, 1 Samuel 26 8, Today God delivered your enemy into your hands. Now that makes sense. Run that spear right through that guy, okay? And Abishai says, now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't have to strike that dude twice. It doesn't say that dude. It just says, I, will have, I don't have to strike him twice. Here's what David says. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come, or he will die, or he will go into battle and perish, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So I'm reading that, you know, I, I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking, I, I'm not a Bishire, I'm one of David's men. I mean, it's just right there before me, this could end all my problems. Wham! Life gets good. That if I thought that through, I would think to myself that David was so right And he made such a wise decision and set such a tremendous example. I would respect him so much you can't believe for that example. See, more people watch us than we know. And we have more influence, folks, than we will ever know. And we need to be aware of who we are in Christ Jesus and that people see you. And I believe that godly role modeling begins in the family. If your husband, your wife, your kids see you practice your faith, even when to do God's will may cost you, you're going to etch something on their minds and their hearts that they will never, ever, ever forget. And would you think of the great honor you have by setting that example to shape a life Listen, I still remember significant people in my life, and they made sacrifices. They made difficult choices like David did. And I, I, I can remember, I said, that's the kind of a person I want to be like. They modeled godly virtues. Listen, I pray that you look at Jesus as your example, but folks, I've got to say this too. If all he is is your example, you are lost. You will never see the light of heaven. You're, seriously, you're lost. That man who washed feet is the same man who left heaven, came to earth, represented you and me with his perfect life and died, died the death that we should have died. And then he broke the chains of death all to give us the way out of our sin. And I pray if you haven't done so right now that you confess your sins. You ask him to forgive everything you've ever done against his holy will. Just ask him right now, forgive everything I've ever done against your holy will. And I guarantee you he will. That's his promise. He'll wash you. He'll cleanse you. He'll change your heart. He'll put you on a whole new path with your life, and He will do that for everybody, no matter who you are or what you've done. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.